everyone, welcome to episode 125 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina, with a special focus on the SCG Tour. With me as always is Collins Mullen. Hey Collins! What's up Chris? And also coming fresh off of the PC, we've got on the line Zach Allen. Hey Zach! How's it going Chris and Collins? How are you guys doing? It's going good. I noticed you are not wearing your PC jacket. It. Oh uh, yeah, I brought, Collins I brought my bragging jacket. It seemed appropriate, but you know. If you look in the uh, recording, it's hanging up right there. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, perfect. Yeah, came prepared. You don't have to keep it on your body at all times, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's just cold in Chris's room, you know? That's, that's true. It is always cold in there, so... <laughs> Our, our house is really weird. The air conditioning like blasts this room, and it's so it's five degrees colder than the rest of the house. In the winter, the heat doesn't really get to this room, so it's still five degrees colder than the rest of the house. I would say I feel bad for you, but I live in Michigan, so it's just freezing at all times here. So yeah, I mean, <laughs> checks out. You can't really. I guess I can't really get much sympathy from you. <laughs> so today we're going to be mostly talking about so. Weirdly enough, we also have more PC competitors in the house right now because <laughs> Zan is here and Dylan is here. Yeah. However, uh, I thought it would be really cool to get Zach to come hang out and give us a sort of different perspective on the prep for the PC because you are not preparing with Team Lotus Box. And uh, I'm sure that came with a bunch of different perspectives. So definitely want to kind of dig into how you ended up on your deck choices what you were thinking going into the tournament and that sort of thing and how i mean you know i want to do a post-mortem and and get from both of you guys like how the tournament felt how it seemed as you were going along you know we were watching at home and i i have my own fair share of impressions but you guys Mm -hmm. were on the inside so that's that's really interesting to me yeah definitely yeah absolutely so last episode collins and i we talked about sort of how you guys came to your deck choices. So you were on Hogak and Legacy, yep. Devoted Druid in Modern, yep. and Mangucci Ramp in yeah. Standard. Yeah. So before we get into, you know, evaluations on how each of those deck choices ended up playing out, I'd, I'd love to sort of get to the same place, with Zach, with you, and, and, and get what you thought going into each format, what you thought other people were going to play, and how that impacted your decisions, and then how you ended up where you did. Sure. So I actually queued for uh, the last Pro Tour. I know, humble brag, but <laughs> it was the standard Pro Tour with Oko, and I played like a, so much standard for that one. And I didn't feel like any other SCG competitor had been playing standard because that was around the same time as the Invitational, mm-hmm. which was Pioneer and Modern. So while like everyone else was testing Pioneer, I was jamming standard. So I kind of figured I had like a head start on the format there, even though some of the bannings changed it. Yeah, that was and, the that was the like four formats over two weekends thing, right? Because you had to play yep. Pioneer and and Modern and then go straight to draft and uh standard. It was the other oh, way around, other way but around. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I had I had draft and standard first and then pioneer and modern. So kind of a little brutal stretch, but I felt like I was a little I had a little bit of a head start there. And also I kind of felt like I was further ahead in testing for legacy than other players at the PC would be just because that was one of my better formats and the deck I was, you know, most practiced with had like was winning grand prix at the time. It was all over magic online. So I kind of figured that legacy was uh, less of a priority for me. And for me personally, testing just started at modern and I just tested modern almost two or three weeks for like the, the lead up I had exclusively. Oh, wow. Okay. 
And so you, the problem you with start that, off pretty locked in on your your legacy deck. Yeah, I uh, I actually the day I qualified, like after the PC mm-hmm. or uh, the Invitational, sorry, I sent Harlan and Drake a list, a Bant snow list. This is before Bant had become popular online, but I sent them a Bant like Miracle Snow list, mm-hmm. and we're like, okay, we just have to hope this doesn't get out, and then. We didn't test with it, didn't show it to anybody, and it won a grand prix. <laughs> like, All right, yeah, well, that's great. I guess we're just still playing it, but like, ugh. It was yeah, it was definitely the most known quantity. We were like, all right, so there's probably going to be seven Bant Stoneblade, Bant decks, uh, not yep. Stoneblade, Bant Bant Miracles decks at this tournament. So uh, we were kind of scared of that, but at the same time, like, what, some other thing we realized, like, kind of pretty quick into looking at the tournament was legacy really didn't matter that much. I know you guys talked about it where it was like the 3 0 and the 0 3 mattered, but like outside of that, it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. Edgar in the finals of this tournament had not there, won a match of Legacy. Had not won a single match of Legacy. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I ended up going 1 2 where I feel like I got really unlucky, but that was the only Legacy I played in the whole event and I went 1 2. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah. I, I think it kind of bore out that it didn't matter that much. Yeah. I mean, it mattered a little bit, right? It mattered for some players, but for me, it didn't end up mattering that much. And. Uh, I just played a deck that I was very familiar with that I didn't need to practice with so I could focus more on trying to figure out Modern. Because mm-hmm. I, I felt like Modern was the most important format by a lot, and I also felt like it was the one I had the most work to do in personally. So, yeah, I, I think that made sense for me. Yeah, the problem the problem ended up being that uh, my standard testing was almost just null and void because the, the deck I spent a ton of time on just wasn't even close to viable <laughs> in the, <laughs> the post-ban meta. So <laughs> that was maybe a mistake. But It's funny how this standard worked out. Because there were, you know, we were looking at it and there's like three major pro tour events in a row that are all mm-hmm. the same standard. But then it turned out that none of them were the same standard after all. Yeah, they weren't even close. Yeah. And the, the weird thing, too, is like I played Doom Foretold uh, or this Esper Dance of the Man stack at the last pro tour. And I was telling them that I beat food really badly. I played in the event and I beat food every time I played it in the event and I was crushing it. And I was also good against fires like the deck could not lose to fires and i expected the meta to just be fires and food and i thought the deck was gonna be really low position so i just locked it in i just i told them like a week before the mc deck list come out it's like well this deck just absolutely crushes fires and food if we expect that to be the meta this is just clearly the deck to play the problem is it's not very good against flash like counterspell decks and then the pc meta or uh the mc meta comes out and it was just like two different versions of Flash and all the best teams are playing Flash. We're like, uh, this might have been a mistake. And then three of those Flash decks in the top eight of the tournament. And Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was the talk of the whole event, right? Like, mm-hmm. Seth and Brad just dominated. We expected it to be even more popular than it ended up being at uh, the PC, but we thought it would be, you know, between seven and eight decks, and it was, I think, five or something. So still yeah. definitely represented, but not as popular as we kind of thought it would be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the... Um... Uh, the ramp deck that we ended up playing, uh, y'all ended up playing a similar version as well. So together we kind of like created that as the number one archetype. Yeah, yeah, we ended up just down it. We didn't expect you guys to play ramp. We, I don't know, we thought the matchup was a little worse against food, and we tried to build a different like version of it with uh, some different cards that made you better against Corvold. Mm-hmm. But it turned out that the deck just still had a really hard time with food, so it didn't really fix it. But right. Yeah, I was I was surprised um, that you had cut the finale package because that had seemed to be like one of the main ways to to beat some of these cluttered up boards that that seemed to happen a lot. Um, but maybe that wasn't how the games were playing out for you guys. So, well, it it and we thought it was better against all the other like blue green decks because mm-hmm. 
just Gadwick was just so ridiculous in like even against the flash deck. It was like uh, you know, if they could counter like your big threats in like your finale and your Nissa or whatever, then most of your spells didn't matter against Flash. They would just mm -hmm. like outvalue with Wolf. And by putting Gadwick in, it was like, well, now we just have more big stuff that they have to counter. And they're probably gonna counter our first three or four spells, but then they'll where they let something big resolve and then all of a sudden they're dead. Mm -hmm. And you just never really ran out of gas because you just had all these like draw X spells. Yeah. The one card that y'all played that I was actually really impressed with was your one of Tamio in the sideboard. I thought that was oh. actually a really good addition. Yeah, Tamio was insane again. That was that was the other thing we found was like you just couldn't win blue green mirrors if someone had a Tamio because they right. just kept buying Aether Gust. Yeah, yeah. That made it a nightmare. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's kind of how my match against Drake played out when we played our grudge match for buys in day one. Yeah. Um, he just resolved to Tamiya both games, and I was just I just got buried. Yeah, I, that, that was happening to me in testing. I didn't actually like the Tamiya at first, mm -hmm. and Harlan's like, I think Tamiya's going to be good. And we like just battled some mirrors, and I just lost them repeatedly. It's like, oh, yeah, no, we're playing Tamiya. We need one, we need one of these. <laughs> yeah. Um, so tell me how you guys came to your modern deck. What were you predicting in modern, and then how did you end up? Because I, I know that like the Stoneforged Mystic decks in general were a big surprise yeah over here when the pc list came out sure and I, I think the modern story is actually the most interesting story from uh my perspective on this event at the invitational i played amulet and i felt like amulet was bad even though i had come up with this uh choke package in the sideboard that i felt was good against the mystic sanctuary decks but i didn't think amulet was a good choice for this event because it was just so bad against shadow like any good shadow player could just beat amulet anytime they wanted and it was just uh, just a very, very difficult matchup. And we expected Shadow to be a much bigger part of the event than it ended up being. Yeah, we did too. Uh, yeah, I think yeah. that was yeah, pretty yeah, pretty common. Yeah. So I was looking around for a deck basically, immediate, like I said, immediately after the uh, Invitational was over. And one of my teammates uh, on REW, his name's Raja, uh, had 8-0'd the uh, modern portion of the Envy playing Devoted Druid. I think he got top 16. And so he said it was insane, and then uh, he had gotten the deck from Kyle Bogamus, who also, like, had just done well in some event, and then also did good at the, the Grand Prix, like, a week later or something with it. Um, so my testing actually started out on Devoted Druid, and I thought that it could beat Urza, and I was pretty sure it would just never beat Shadow. But I thought maybe, you know, Veil of Summer's really messed up against Shadow, maybe there's a chance that after some testing it would be good against Shadow. And what I found was I could actually just beat Shadow Pilots every single time I played them online in my list because I had two Shalai's and the Shalai Giver package was just so good against Shadow. Like you yeah. just, you would just like trick them into like having to stop your combo every turn and they would just lose the Shalai Giver package. Um, and I wasn't sure if that would hold up uh, against, you know, like the tier of competitor I'd be playing against at the PC, but I felt reasonably comfortable with it. Especially with known deck lists too. You know, they yeah. know that you're running two Shalai's like they may yeah. be able to pick out that that's your plan. No, and that's certainly an aspect of the event too. So anyway, I wanted I wanted to make sure that it held up because I was beating Urza really bad when I would play it online in like leagues. But then we would get to testing and I'd play against like Harlan on Urza or Drake on Urza, whatever, somebody playing Urza. And we'd have open deck lists and they'd know ahead of time like what I was playing. And I just would lose repeatedly because they would just mulligan every single hand to either have Emery and EE like the lock quote unquote against you, right? Yeah. Or just turn to Oko. And the deck I found struggled against turn to Oko more than mm -hmm. I would have liked. Mm -hmm. That's one thing I found just playing other Oko decks against Devoted Druid or, you know, that type of green creature deck, you just start turning their 
their creatures into elks and then yep. their creatures don't do anything anymore because yeah. they need multiple of these effects in play at the same time mm -hmm. and and well, no and yeah you're right and the other problem too is that the deck doesn't have that many creatures that are great attackers so it was actually like doubly powerful to start turning stuff into uh three threes because the other creatures didn't attack well with the three threes it would just you know, end up often being that they'd be attacking with like a three three that got exalted triggers from a noble hierarch or mm -hmm. whatever. Yeah. So that kind of scared me off the deck. And then we started looking for you know other decks to play, and we got into the same like holding pattern that you explained. I, I believe in your last episode where it just it was so hard to find a deck that beat Shadow and Urza at the same time because they're just so polar opposite decks. And you know, any deck that crushed one lost the other one really badly. Mm. Did y'all ever try out Mirror Crusader? We never tried the Mirror Crusader, and as soon as I saw it in your list, I was like, "Oh, that's what I was missing." I think yeah. I think they like <laughs> that was the puzzle piece. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So as soon as I saw it, I was like, "Oh yeah, that's brilliant." Okay, they they clearly did their homework on this. I understand why they registered it now, right? But no, never never tried that. Didn't get that far. I didn't go fully like transformational. I guess it kind of looks like you guys have like a kind of transformational sideboard where you can become more of an attacking deck. Mm -hmm. Never quite got there. I just kind of left more disruption in it. I had more hate bears in my I was like on Gaddock Teague and Collector Oof and sure. Phyrexian Revoker. Yeah. And those just never made the Shadow matchup any better. It would help oh, against... no. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. It would help against Tron or sometimes it helped against Urza. It didn't always work against Oko. But but yeah, so that, that's where I got stuck. I didn't innovate the deck enough. And I think you guys had a much better list than I did. But, um, you know, at the same time, I, I kind of put it down and moved off of it. And so we were looking for these other decks to play, and Drake comes up with humans kind of a few days after I put down Druid. And he believed it was beating Shadow really badly, and the Urza matchup was bad game one, but if he played a bunch of collector oofs and attacked and had this, you know, this plan, he thought it was good. Um, me and Harlan were still skeptical. So we kept looking. We just started trying out all these lists. And then we find this Stoneblade deck that got 11th place at that same Grand Prix that I believe, uh, I think Evan got second at. Well, he I think he lost in top top four. four. Yeah. yeah. Top four. He lost, okay, to, sure. he lost to Brian Koval in top four, yeah. Yeah. Ah, okay. Okay. So Evan top four. But yeah, so in that event, somebody got eleventh place with this Bant Stoneblade deck. Mm -hmm. It was like a snowblade deck. It was kind of the shell we started from. And we tested with their deck a little bit and we could tell right away that it was way better against Shadow than it looked. Like it didn't look good against Shadow, and then you play the games, you're like, no, this deck is just actually very good against Shadow. And we're like, okay, well, if this attack is crushing Shadow, we'll see how it is against Urza. And then we kind of realized that it was really good at beating Oko, despite it looking like it would be bad at beating Oko. And it was really good against the card Urza, but terrible against Emery. So we weren't <laughs> sure if people would figure that out. And it actually kind of like bore out that no one, like in the matches I played against Urza, nobody prioritized Emery the way they were supposed to. Mm. So it ended up being really good for me. What about Emery made it really difficult for you? We just couldn't, we just get outvalued too bad. The deck okay. is just like purely a tempo deck, and the just like every single turn casting a bobble would just bury me too quickly. Sure. And the only removal spell we had for it that worked is Path, and then that would actually put you far enough behind that uh, you would get buried by Urza and Oko. Like, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. you have to cast it on turn two, and then. Yeah. That, that land is incredibly valuable. Path has a lot of costs right now. It's pretty crazy. Oh, yeah. I. It's tough playing path. I don't think it's great, but I yeah. mean, it's just the only spell you get in band colors. Yeah, right? of course, of course. I mean, it's what you're going to play, for sure. Yeah, but yeah, so we realized we could beat uh, Urza pilots that didn't 
quite fully understand the matchup, I guess. And we didn't think anybody would understand the matchup because our deck looks really bad. <laughs> like, <laughs> I, like, yeah. I, like, honestly, when we picked up, I, I kept telling everyone, I was like, there's no way we can play this. This deck looks awful. Like, it, it's not, I mean, it is proactive, but it doesn't look that powerful. All our stuff gets out class. The only thing really powerful we're doing is casting three mana planeswalkers on turn two and just like hoping that's good enough, I guess. But, you know, we did have the information advantage, which is important in a tournament like this where. Mm-hmm. You know, we have tested against all the decks we thought we were going to play against, and I, I bet very few people in the event tested against Bant Snowblade or whatever. We so, we did a lot of testing for it after deck lists were released. <laughs> so, okay. <That> <laughs> yeah, that none before, none before. The revealing of all of the Stoneforge Mystic decks in the tournament caused a little bit of consternation in the house because that is a tough matchup for devoted yeah. Druid yeah. in general. Yeah, we yeah. took a, we took a hard swing on y'all all playing Urza, and. Sure. Uh, yeah, it didn't pay out for us. Well, that was, we thought you guys were going to play Urza. We thought, we were like, <laughs> certain. We were certain. We like tested all these decks and we we're like, okay, we think that Urza actually beats Shadow. Even though the matchup feels bad, we thought that if you knew that Shadow was coming, it was easy to make Urza beat Shadow. Yeah. And we're just like, well, there's just no way. They've just been crushing every event. Like Atlanta, you guys had like eight people in the top eight playing. <laughs> yeah, so close to that. Yeah, half of yeah. that, but you know. So it was like, there's just no way that they don't all show up on Urza. Even if we prepare for them, the deck's still going to be good. Like, what can we do? And then we thought Colin Roundtree would play it. We thought Oliver would play it. We thought Edgar would play it. We thought there's a chance Dilk would play it, and then Dilks would just go back to Amulet. But we thought he might, he might start on Urza. Sure. So we just kind of assumed there'd just be a lot of people. And the only person in your house that we thought might not play it was... I guess Collins a little bit. We thought there was like a 10% chance you'd play Burn. Ooh, yeah. And then uh, we had... There was a uh, chance that... There uh, there was a point in the in the preparation where I was like 80% to play Burn. But sure. We did not hit that 80%. Fair, fair. Yeah. But yeah, we thought, we thought there was like a... There's a decent chance you'd play Burn, but you'd be the only one and it wasn't worth like preparing for. Mm-hmm. And I actually had a bet with Harlan and Drake that Donegan would show up playing Shadow. Oh, I yeah. thought for sure he was going to show up playing Shadow. I don't know why. I just like had this gut feeling. Like, okay, they're all going to play Urza, and Donigan's going to show up on Shadow. That was... <laughs> I mean, he always wants to. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, yeah, if, for sure. If if he, he builds can... a Shadow deck for this tournament, if he can get permission okay. to play Shadow, like yeah. if he can get like everybody being like, okay, yeah, it's probably fine. Mm-hmm. Then then he will. But you know, if he gets enough pushback, then he certainly is going to trust his teammates to yeah. overcome his biases towards <laughs> Shadow. <laughs> right. Sure, sure. So, like, something, another conclusion we came to while testing Modern was that we were hoping, uh, we weren't really sure how Lotus Box was testing, uh, mm, like, okay. in terms of breaking off until, you know, like maybe halfway through the process, uh, Edgar told us that he was testing with Dilks and it was separate. Later than that, we found out Abe had broken off and was testing with Oliver, but we didn't know that while we were, like, you know, kind of theorizing going through decks. Yeah, how did that influence, like, how you're, you're thinking about what the metagame was going to look like then? Well, so we kind of came to this conclusion that, like, in Modern, uh, I mean, we know that, like, we have to prepare for the deck Shadow and Urza. Like, that was something we were aware of because we knew there was going to be some people playing Shadow and we thought Urza was going to be the most popular deck by a lot. But it wasn't worth, like, preparing for the one of other decks that, you know, like, we thought Jolicet might be the only Tron player in the field. And we didn't think it was worth preparing for it because we might not play him. He might not be in our pod and he might not even play that deck. So it was like preparing for one Tron deck didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. And the one conclusion we kept coming to is that like, we should just prepare for whatever Lotus box is doing. Cause I'll have like four or five people playing X deck. Yeah. And if we can get that deck right, then it makes, 
like it, you know, it's the most likelihood that we will have predicted the metagame right, right? Yeah, yeah. right. Right. If if all of Lotus Box is on the same deck, then that's forty percent of the field. Like Right, yeah. And then if somebody else just plays that deck, and if and if we're assuming it's Urza, then like we assume there'd be like two or three other Urza players and it would be like half the field. So sure. we kind of assume that we just needed to have like our deck be really good against Urza. And I, I think that's like that ended up I, I don't even know if it's like a leveling process, but it's almost just like a game theory optimization process at this point where like because people over here know that you guys have to be thinking that, then yeah. it's almost impossible for Lotus Box to actually register. Urza we were for this from the very beginning pretty much zero percent to play Urza. Uh, well, so that that actually makes sense because that was yeah. what Harlan said to me when I'm like trying to argue this point. He goes, "Well, we actually think Urza is the worst call for this." He goes, "I think Urza is the worst deck you can play this event, mm -hmm. even though it's the best deck because." There's not a single person in the field that's showing up with a bad Urza matchup. Yeah, it just doesn't yeah. make any sense if you assume it's a popular deck. That's the level that we were on. Yeah, and then it was like, okay, well, if no one has a bad Urza matchup, then all you have is bad matchups and mirrors, and then it's like, well, what are you doing? Right. And there's a difference between... Because you can show up to an open. We, we're going to show up to, to Columbus, yeah. and you can ask everybody there what they think their Urza matchup is like. Mm -hmm. Everybody's going to say, like, I think I have an okay Urza matchup. Yeah. But a lot of them are going to be wrong. Yeah. Less likely to be wrong in the PC field. Right, right, yeah. Yeah, I mean, we we knew ahead of time that our deck had to be able to beat Urza, or if the matchup was close, we had to understand the matchup much better than the Urza player would, right? Mm -hmm. And I, I think that actually bore out in the, like, that our deck was close against Urza, but, like, if you go back and watch me play against Oliver, I feel like I understood the matchup much better than he did. Mm -hmm. uh, just, like, there's, like, a, there's a, a turn in the game where... Uh, I could play a Hierarch on one, and instead I pass with Mystical Dispute up, fully knowing that, like, he could play an Oko here, and that I would not counter the Oko, but if he plays an Emery, I have to snap Mystic Dispute it. And he does play an Emery, and I do Mystic Dispute it, and then I win the game because he doesn't have the Emery. Interesting. Yeah, and, and I'm sure I am sure I just would have completely missed that, because, yeah, I didn't, like, understand that part of the matchup either. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah we certainly weren't looking for that. Yeah, yeah and, and, I mean, that's a little thing, right? But it's, like... I don't know. That was that was the edge we figured we would have against Urza is that we knew like what worked and what didn't against. Yeah, and that two. makes a lot of sense for sure. And you you ended up beating Oliver, right? In the um, I did. Yeah, in, I the, think. in our pod, I did. It was my, it was my only win in that pod, but I did beat him. Yeah. Well, not a God. lot of people beat Oliver that weekend, so you know. Yeah, that's, that's true. It's pretty fine. Oliver got helped out at least a little bit by RNG over the course of the tournament. Obviously, he played extremely well and had good decks and everything. Yeah. But one thing that I I would like to talk about, um, and I don't want to cut you off of um, your your like modern stuff. So if you have more modern to talk about, then definitely like keep going on that. No, please. But I would like to talk about sort of the inside view that you guys had of the tournament. Um, both like I'd, I'd love to hear what you what everybody's thoughts on the tournament structure sort of was sure. as the weekend was going on. Yeah, and then definitely just like how the weekend went what it was like to play in the pc what the experience was because very few of us are gonna get to experience that yeah well the first big shout out i want to make is to star city games the the hosting was incredible yeah yeah strong agree with that. yeah yeah strong like so we all had our own hotel room it we just really felt loved by star city mm -hmm. that, that weekend oh, um mm -hmm. it was great uh shout out to chris mccurry 
who was just a yeah. an A plus just host. He you know he shuttled us back and forth between the hotel and the venue whenever we wanted to. Uh, you know they're providing food. It was just great. It was an amazing experience. That's really nice. And uh, I, and you got some pretty cool swag too. You got the jackets. We got the jackets. Zan, we got Zan showed me the the deck box and the playmat that you guys got. Yeah, the playmat's nice. really sick. I I have actually a really hard choice between which playmat I want to play with now. <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah, because we got ours now, which are amazing, and I uh, definitely want to play. Yeah, play is sweet. I'm <laughs> I'm really pumped about this playmat. Honestly, it came out it really. Sweet. It came out really good. It came yeah. out really good. So if you become a patron and you pledge in the playmat tier then we will send those out and i will be sending them out over christmas break and they are i will just is it weird to use a playmat with your own face on it that's kind of what has me leaning towards the pc playmat a little bit um also the pc playmat is like this like sweet leather that just has such a great texture (laughs) yeah i don't know it's hard sell but yeah, I mean, you know, it was just great. And uh, and just like being at the venue, everything was run just so smoothly. Mm-hmm. Um, it really demonstrated some like the inner workings of Star City is, is well managed. And Chris McCurry needs a raise. So. Yeah, cool. Um, also, just on the Star City note, they like shut down the entire game center for us. Yeah. So we're the only ones in there. They have like sweet chairs and like a good viewing area set up for us. Yeah. Like free food and like drinks coming in. It was awesome. <laughs> I think... Uh, Patrick Sullivan on stream was like coming live from the back room of the Star City Game Center. Where they used to break people's thumbs for stealing dual lands, and now it's, it's real nice in here. They've even got paint on the walls. <laughs> Amazing, yeah, yeah. No, so so that element of of the tournament was great. the The tournament itself felt really grueling. Yeah, um, like we were there for you know twelve hours every day. All of the days felt really, really long. I couldn't believe um, how long the stream... I was just watching for so long every yeah, day. Yeah, and, and that entire time, we are just, like, all in the venue, like, <laughs> trying to entertain ourselves. And, like, you know, sometimes we have to wait. Uh, like, day two, some people didn't play for, like, you know, like, there was, like, six-hour gaps between, like, people playing. But they just, like, had, had to be there, you know? Right. Because at any moment, you could be called on. The, the tournament structure was... <sighs> It was it was kind of wonky. I think it played out a little easier for us than it might look, just because we had uh, Ricky and uh, Jared Silva mm-hmm. both just like completely on top of everything, being able to tell us like what's happening next and like when to go and what format we're playing next. That's a lot of like judging power to player ratio right like oh yeah and ricky there. yeah 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 jared and ricky were there and that was uh, so that part of it went pretty smoothly the I mean, but the tournament structure was confusing mm-hmm. and i don't think that the pod elements were like as optimized as they wanted it to be because uh, the tiebreaker stuff mattered a ton for for those of you who don't like haven't internalized the pc structure which is pretty fair and yeah, no fault to you um it was four four-player pods. Yep. And they play round robin, so three rounds. Mm-hmm. And then after that, there was a cut. And the winner of each pod would go straight to the the good pod. The pod where like you are ultimately trying to play for a buy. You're locked for day two and you're mm-hmm. trying to play for a buy. The loser, last place of the pod, would go to the bad pod where you're just playing <laughs> to try to survive. Yeah. Um, and then the two middle players in each pod had to play a match to find out which of the if they were going to the good pod or the bad pod yeah the the problems that sort of came to the surface at least watching from home 
uh, seemed to be number one. Tiebreakers came into play a lot and very quickly. And yeah. the only tiebreaker was your game win percentage. Yeah. So, it, and there were a lot of ties in these. And then, so after three rounds of the first pod, and then again after three rounds of the second pod, tiebreakers were worth effectively a full match win mm-hmm. each time. Yeah. And so people with significantly different records ended up like with buys. People with su- substantially similar records ended up in completely different positions in the tournament. Mm-hmm. Not to call anybody out because nobody had any control over the situation or anything like that. But for example, Drake Sasser made day two with a buy with a 4-4 record. Joe Lissette was eliminated from the tournament with a 4-4 record. Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, so placing your wins was pretty crucial. Yeah. And um, and just, like, speaking to, like, the structure of an individual pod, you know, the tiebreakers came down to, like, maybe there were two two ones, and they had to have tiebreakers between each, like, each of them. But sometimes there was, like, one three zero and three one twos yeah in the pods and so there's just like a huge variety of like how the pods could end up like breaking down and it just felt you know like a lot of that stuff wasn't really in our control and our like our matches didn't really matter we were all just kind of like hoping to put ourselves in a decent spot and then like have the the breakers work out yeah yeah and another feel bad that happened was that so zan played against joe Lissette and ended up beating him in like in in turns i or he was like one oh he like won the match one oh right or whatever I, I think they both kind of settled in to the it was an incredibly grindy legacy match and yeah. they both kind of settled into game one both kind of thinking like yeah this is going to be a one game match right and i would like to win this game yeah but what ended up happening is that so zan won that game and then they were like playing game two with not enough time to like to resolve it and they both knew that Mm -hmm. and like at some point during that game joe just kind of like conceded but they signed the match slip 1-0 because they were like in turns when joe conceded yeah so the match slip ended up being 1-0 and then it came up later that like that being 1-0 was the difference between zan winning his pod and oliver winning his pod like, and if, like, Kazan still had an opportunity to, like, play out the rest of turns to try to win, but they mm-hmm. just, like, didn't bother. So that yeah. ended up being, like, kind of a feel bad. Just and you're because, just not looking out for that because the yeah. tournament structure is not right what you're used to. You don't prioritize game wins yeah. on the match slip. Yeah. So had, you know, had Zan, like, played out the rest of those turns and potentially gotten that game win or whatever, mm-hmm. he would have won his pod. Like, as it happened, Oliver won his pod. So, yeah. Definitely, definitely not great there. Jeez. So, so yeah, I think I, I definitely believe that like post tournament, the, uh, um, there's a lot of like structural problems, mm-hmm. um, that, that could be addressed. And I think, you know, can and should be addressed like for, for future players championships. Um, like is, I was talking Is this the same structure they've used before in pla- past players championships? I don't remember. I think it is similar to like previous ones, but like very different from like the first couple. Okay. Um, I was talking to Joe Lissette about like he was like talking about how in the first players championship, if you were like that bottom seed of your pod, you were just like out of the tournament straight out. Right. So like like four people were eliminated from the tournament by lunch on the first day, which <laughs> feels bad. Zach, what what was your what was your take on the tournament structure? So day one, I thought. Like, I agree with everything you said, that the tiebreakers mattered probably too much. It was strange how, like, how much the tiebreakers mattered. But, like, from a playing it perspective, it felt like 
the it felt like the most natural tournament structure from like my perspective when I was playing it because we didn't have all these like sit around two hour breaks or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was actually nice to just be like, all right, you got a match, sit down, play. All right, you know, 10, 15 minute break, whatever, normal break in between rounds. All right, your next round is up, go play. Yeah. And so from that perspective, it was nice. And it was nice that you got to play, you know, matches before you could get eliminated so that, you know, it wasn't like super high variance. So you lose one match and you're out or you, you know, drew a bad pod and you were out. Right. So that part was cool. But um, we also like, I don't know, just from reading the tournament structure ahead of time, we just kind of knew that the grudge matches like mattered way more than the pods. Yeah. yeah. They were almost worth like two to one, like in favor of the grudge. At least. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Absolutely. And, the, and that's, like, why you see Drake, you know, with a buy in day two and Joe is set out is because Drake's two of Drake's wins came in grudge matches. And, you and, know, two and Joe of, lost Joe's both losses. of his. Right? Yep. So, like, we knew ahead of time that the grudge matches were worth a ton. And it was like, okay, well, we need to do well in these more so than the pods. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. I, I did think the pod play was weird. Like, when I, I played against Collins in uh, the second set of pods on day one. Yeah. And in my match was like, if I win, I'm in first place in this pod and I have a buy into day two. And if I lose, uh, I'm just in fourth place in the pod and I lose the pod. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. yeah. It was one yeah. match. That's what it came down to. And Harlan I, was in the same position, but he was in like the, the play to stay pod. So he could either have like gotten first in his pod with a win or just been out of the tournament. Oh, God. Yeah. Yeah, and that's what ended up happening was he lost the one match he needed to win in that pot and then just out. Yeah. It was like if he won, he was just auto in day two, didn't even have to play the grudge match. Right. So, yeah. yeah. The, it, the round robin structure was definitely a little weird. I could see that being addressed in the future. Yeah. I, I like how, you know, Abe had just about the roughest day Ooh, anybody yeah. has ever had playing Magic. <laughs> but he still, yeah. he got one win in his second pod. Yep. And then that put him into the the, the grudge, grudge match. He was actually on the play in the grudge match. Was it one two? He was second place in his pod because there was a three zero and and then three one twos. It was wild. Um, oh yeah, see that's the other crazy thing about how the tiebreakers ended up working out. Yeah, is that they also like in large part because of the tiebreakers and especially because of the grudge match wins that also determined who was on the play all day of day two mm-hmm. which was yeah. like yeah a, a pretty substantial leg up yeah and well, so for also, mike my yeah sorry for the record the grudge match wins didn't count in day two for like the play <laughs> draw record. thing yeah so sure. but they did would, count for if you got a buy so yeah. and the people with buys had had were on the play for all like day auto day auto two. top seed yeah yeah but, yeah, but, but yeah you're right you're right that they did it didn't not count, count for, it, it only counted, like, for the people that just made day two and didn't have buys, it only counted your in-pod records. Okay. So, like, I won my grudge match and had poor in-pod records, so I was on the draw all of day two. Yeah. <laughs> Rough. It's kind of frustrating, but, yeah. you know, that's what it is. But I, you know, from the perspective of somebody who, like, outside of everybody in the buys, I had the best record, so I was fifth seed. So that made me feel good about, like, my day one mattering, like, even a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like, I was like, okay, at least okay. I, like, earned like being a high seed for most of the like the 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 double elimination bracket on the next day because it felt kind of bad because I you know I went x1 only losing to Oliver in pods and then I lost to Drake in a grudge match and then like it felt like my my like strong like 5-2 record on day one didn't matter really at all Mm -hmm. but then when I realized that I like was at least going to be on the play against anybody who didn't have buys so that that did feel good for me but you know of course that's like a a pretty biased perspective of like you know I was on the receiving end of that like being a good or bad thing so 
No, I, I think that I think that is cool because it did feel like day one needed to matter, and I'm I'm yeah. happy that it worked out that way. I guess, but yeah, yeah. day one was definitely confusing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah day one was confusing and then just like the double elimination the next day i think that was like where most of like the fatigue came in to play for for a lot of players that that second day of competition was was exhausting for me and i didn't oh. even like i didn't even go as deep as you so like how did that feel for you i no, i totally agree with you uh the first day was still somewhat exhausting for me although mm-hmm. i think that was more of just a my deck choice and deciding to play grindy blue decks against <laughs> all the best players in the PC. Yeah. So that my that legacy have... experience was great. Just quick sure. matches, breeze through everybody. It was great. It was a good time. Yeah. In <laughs> retrospect, I wish I had done that because <laughs> terminus mirrors against other really good players. That's just a lot of thinking. I think that a lot of that actually came through on stream. I like, you know, I can't look at somebody and tell how tired they are, but I know what kinds of mistakes uh especially like the lotus got the lotus box guys make Mm -hmm. because i watch you guys play all the time right um and everybody all of these incredible players like players that are very very technically skilled and who i rarely see make serious mistakes everybody was making mistakes Mm -hmm. especially towards the end of the tournament yeah everybody except oliver mostly right Oliver and, kept it together. And honestly, I do you think that... that though. You say that, though, but in my match, Oliver made, like, an egregious mistake that cost him the match, yeah. and it was late in day sure. one. And it's uh-huh. like... Yeah. It just happens to everybody. That. It's really mm-hmm. hard. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, definitely. It's just, he, like, he kept it together better than anybody else did late on mm-hmm. days two and three. Yeah. And, and you know, it kind of... That, that kind of helped him get to the end of the tournament. Yeah. And I, yeah. I do think that that speaks a lot to how much your physical fitness actually plays into these like long tournaments mm-hmm. is that Oliver is like definitely on the, you know, on the more fit side of things. Like I know he exercises, he seems to be in good shape and you know, that's definitely something that I've been neglecting for a long time. So I think that he had that kind of edge in that like attrition way. Mm-hmm. So that was interesting to just kind of see play out um, a little bit there, yeah. but hmm. kind of my yeah. Opinion. I, I agree with you for sure on the physical fitness mattering. It was actually yeah. something I like just came to the conclusion of on my plane ride home. It's like, mm-hmm. I need to be more physically fit if I'm going to do something like this again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but getting back to like your question on how day two felt for me. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I agree a hundred percent that it was one of the most grueling things I've ever played. And part of it is like, I got knocked in it. So for those that don't know, day two is a, a double elimination bracket. So you play through the first round, and if you lose, you're in the bottom bracket. If you lose in the bottom bracket, you're done. Yeah. And I lost my first round in the top bracket, like immediately. I was the first match in day one, and I lost. So I'm in the bottom bracket the entire day. And the, the like, feeling, like, that you know your next match can be your last match, and it's super important, and you can't lose again, just kind of, like, you know, it's just this drain, right? You're just like mentally just thinking about the match and like how it can't, like you can't lose. You got to win. You got to get this one. And you'd get these like two hour breaks or three hour breaks because they wanted to show every match on camera. So you're sitting there for like three hours just thinking like, okay, I got to get this one. I got to win this one. And yeah. what you need to do is like turn yourself off, like turn off your brain to stop expending energy during those breaks. But it's just really a difficult thing to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, you know, to your point, yeah, it drained me a ton. Like I was sitting there thinking about my match, thinking about how it's sideboard, thinking about how it's going to play out. And yeah, I mean, it, it's tough. By the end of the day, I was just making bad plays left and right. It was tough. Yeah. Yeah. And then kind of speaking to like the, like the top four playing out, 
like you know i wasn't there but uh so oliver and dylan played the first match right and then Zan and Edgar and, and these matches in top four were hours long mm-hmm. like multiple like two to three hours long because right, it's it's mm-hmm. matches it's it's a best of three best of three yeah legacy modern standard right and untimed yeah so so that like mentally ended up giving the whoever won the first match mm-hmm. of that day a huge advantage because so these you like uh oliver beat dylan in this like really long match all of the matches in top four went to four matches or three matches and then oliver got like a break while edgar and zan played this like two and a half hour long marathon but then edgar had to just like back to back those yeah so edgar went straight into the finals after playing this like extraordinarily long grindy match against zan and just like had no break and had to go like straight into another like three hour long finals against oliver who had the ability to just like chill for a while that 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 was definitely like i don't know if there's a solution there i think Um, the solution is to interweave them right like if it's going to be best of three best of three matches you play one match of of semifinal a and then one match of semifinal b Mm -hmm. and and then it like keeps the tension up too because sure you know everybody's still alive yeah that's fair that actually is a really good solution to that. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, that's really cool. But yeah, I mean, the way it played out, though, like, you know, Edgar was, like, very beat, yeah. <laughs> like, going into the finals, and that's... On top of that, too, I think Zan and Edgar's first match went, like, four hours. I'm not even kidding. <laughs> yeah. I remember asking right. somebody, and they're like, no, this is, like, the third time through the clock. It's already <laughs> at, like, 2.49. Yeah, it's they like, didn't show how many hours it was, but it just kept on resetting at 60 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> so, yikes. Yeah, like I went for a run, like I took a shower, I like went to my dad's birthday, I came back. <laughs> oh man. Like I had a day and they were still like playing their match. So definitely, you know, very very exhausting. And I think that is a lot of the reason why yeah, I just saw everybody playing making a, a ton of mistakes throughout yeah. the whole tournament. And um well, also Collins, I, I was kind of curious, like when you guys test um, I'm assuming you do, you know, some sort of marathon testing session on at least some of your testing, right? Um, I mean, <laughs> we kind of just like live it a little bit. Yeah, um, like you just test. Like, have you ever just yeah. tested for a full day where you just oh, sit yeah. down? And, like, well, hours? often. So our our like sleep schedules are really screwed up, especially after sure. testing for this tournament. Because sure. for this tournament, we did we marathoned it pretty much, but we would start at like, you know, like three or four. Because we wake up at like two o'clock, and then we would just go hard until like five a.m. or something, and then go to bed and wake up at like two or three, and and continue testing. So, which Zan remarked, and I agree with him mm-hmm. that that is bad preparation. It was because yeah. when he had to play matches at nine and ten in the morning, yeah, you know his brain wasn't used to functioning in that way at nine and ten yeah. in the morning, yeah, because it, it hadn't been. And and this is something that that comes from sports too. When I was training hard for races and stuff, like I would do workouts at eight in the morning because my races were at eight or nine in the morning. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you want to make your body and make your brain ready to do these things at the time that you're supposed to do them. Yeah. Yeah. Zan was talking to me about that too. He was like, yeah, I, I felt like um, once we got late into the day, I was much better off because mm-hmm. that was like when I my body was like prepared for playing magic. But yeah, early in the morning, like I did some like pre-tournament like testing jams against Zan like in the morning in like the hotel lobby. Yeah. And he just like didn't know what his cards did. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. Zan's, um, Zan's sleep schedule 
got pretty messed up over the past couple of months. All of ours did. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but that's, you know, moving forward, that's something, think something that we can learn from and improve on. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, and like, I think that we do really, really like, especially after this tournament, want to focus more on our physical well-being because it had a huge impact on us. Sure. Yeah. Sure. And I like totally agree with all you guys or with your points on all of that. Cause I do think the sleep matters a ton. Yeah. Uh, but more so, like, I just wanted to comment on like, I have done those, you know, the same sessions you're talking about where you play, you like test for like 12 hours or 13 hours or whatever. You just mm-hmm. put a full day in testing because you got to cram testing for some big event. Definitely. And I have never felt as drained at the end of one of those as I did at the end of one of the, like at the end of a PC day. Yeah. And I didn't play nearly as many matches, like not even close. Yeah. You know, it was yeah. like, cause it's like the matches. stress, right? It's the yeah. tension, like you're playing high stakes matches against great players who are not, nobody's giving an inch and it like matters. Yeah. Every yeah. one of yeah. them, like you want For to sure. win. I, I was kind of talking about this concept where like, you know, trying to draw an analogy between the stress of a tournament compared to the stress of a season mm-hmm. and how I felt like the stress of a season, like building up into the players championship was similar to the stress of a tournament building up into the top eight mm-hmm. where you you experience all of these stresses of like um like oh no that that loss really sucked and whatever and at at least i can jump straight into the next match which is going to be in like 20 minutes or whatever but if you like have a rough tournament weekend you have to live with the stress of like that rough tournament weekend the entire week until the next tournament Mm -hmm. sometimes multiple weeks and it definitely like compounds on itself like the longer you have to wait and i think that that like that similar concept happened at the pc because like sometimes you were just chilling for three hours yeah you played your next match after a loss yeah right yeah 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 so that's it that's interesting that it that that's kind of how that that's some interesting like psychology yeah yeah for sure oh shoot what was i gonna say yeah lost it <laughs> but yeah i mean that's so that's kind of like my, my biggest takeaway from like and i don't like you know we're, we're definitely complaining a lot about a lot of things i had an amazing time this yeah. weekend cool not only was like the like the hosting really good but like just the the hanks were also great uh like we played a lot of parties we played um some resistance we played some other like you know games we cubed a lot uh, it was a, it was a great time cool yeah. yeah, I I also like I want to echo that too because it was one of the most fun events I've ever played yeah. magic wise in my entire life. Yeah. But uh, you know, like, and the, the thing I think we're complaining about the most isn't even SCG's fault. It's just like no, no, no. It's just yeah. how hard the the event is because it's right. just all really good players and yeah. it's all just tough matches. You know. Yeah, yeah. If anything, SCG just you know did everything immaculately that weekend. Yeah, it was, there's, yeah. there's certainly yeah. not going to be able to take away the fact that it's going to be a stressful, mm-hmm. tough day. Yeah. So the thing that I was going to say that I forgot that okay. I've now remembered. Yeah. Um, I read this really interesting article about chess players and how over the course of a chess tournament, a lot of chess players lose like 10 to 15 pounds. Um, and well, that's because... How long are... So a lot of it is... A, day a lot of it's... No, no, chess tournaments are several days long. Okay, cool. But that's still a lot for, yeah. for multiple days. Right. Um, some of that is water weight. Some of that is because they don't eat a ton. Most chess players don't eat very much during, like, gameplay during the tournament itself because mm-hmm. they don't want to, like, upset their body chemistry or, or, like, slow their brains down. They like to have, like, you know, be in, like, sort of almost ketosis states, allowing their, their brains to work the way that they want them to. But also, they have attached, like, 
uh, EKG sensors and blood pressure sensors and stuff like that to tournament chess players. Mm. And over during a tournament, most chess players' heart rates go way up and their blood pressure goes way up and their body temperature goes up because they're concentrating so hard and because they're under so much stress the entire time mm-hmm. that that is, like, causing their body to be in this, like fight or flight mode for pretty much the entire tournament that really resonates with me just given my general experience at a magic tournament Mm -hmm. like there are often times where i finish a stressful match and i'm literally shaking Mm -hmm. and and that happens pretty frequently and a lot of times sometimes sometimes people like notice and they like ask me if i'm okay but like i just like generally have the shakes a little bit like (laughs) that's just natural for me but like especially at a tournament yeah like it gets pretty extreme and my heart rate goes up like i know that to be true I, it definitely makes me feel like we are athletes, you know, like the the, the people who like pr- play professionally. It's it's just very taxing in that way. Yeah. Well, yeah. And to your point, I'm actually I've been doing keto for like six months or something. So, uh, you know, your point on like being in ketosis is actually something that like got me interested in trying it. Was it supposed to increase your brain function? Yeah. And it was it's hard like breaking keto when you're in keto like really messes up your body so it's like you don't want to do that during the tournament sure um and i didn't really like ask them to like make my diet you know like accommodate my diet as much at the tournament so it was like kind of hard to uh you know stay keto while i was there Mm -hmm. and to your point on losing weight i actually came back eight pounds later which is like a pretty drastic shift for me so yeah it i you know part of the like sporadic meals and just the stress like yeah it just added up for sure interesting that that's all i mean you know it makes a certain amount of sense but it's still like pretty wild i mean i'm also like a bigger dude so eight pounds is like less than you know other people but that's still like a a, you know pretty decent amount of weight yeah definitely Mm -hmm. yeah yeah lots to think about going forward i i mean like we were talking about this at dinner the other day just like figuring out physical conditioning and like sleep schedule and stuff like that. And probably prioritizing that is a basic thing that you can do that is going to give you percentage points over time. And we were just last night talking in the house about, uh, gamifying fitness. (laughs) Um, and I think that that if we pull the trigger on that would be a huge help for all of us because we're all very competitive in the house. And, uh, if we could like gamify, and make competitive fitness in some way, I think that would be uh, pretty cool. Yeah. I think it's a good plan. Um, so, because we're, gonna... we're all degenerate gamers at the end of the day. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta allow that to, to fuel us instead yeah. of hindering us, you know? No, I wanna, <laughs> I, I really wanna do like a trophy with a plaque at the bottom. We engrave the winner's name each month or something like that nice. to, yeah, you yeah. know, get yeah. a, a permanent record. Sick. Let's see. So, what else? You know, that that was sort of the... Yeah, so what do we hit on for the tournament? We talked a little bit about, like, the formats and stuff and the way it played out. Yeah. We talked a little bit about, like, the stress. So deck choice-wise... Oh, yeah, how... post, post-mortem thoughts. Yeah, on... like, mm-hmm. how are we feeling about the, each of the decks for each format? Do we want to go, like, format by format and you each talk about how you felt that sure. played out for you? I'm down. So Legacy, um, Hogak... Hogak, Snuka. best deck in the room, not close. <laughs> Uh, I yeah not not close to close <laughs> I, I think that Hogak was the perfect legacy choice and it made me kind of sad because legacy didn't actually kind of that didn't much of it like I 3 legacy and you know whatever it just didn't have an impact but 
uh, yeah, I'm. I, I'll, I'll be confident in 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 that statement. I was very very happy with my preparation for Legacy. It feels like all of my called shots on a, a general lack of preparation in the room was accurate. You know, people just like probably didn't test the matchup very much, and like a couple of people I know threw in some graveyard hate, like a couple of rest in pieces maybe. Um, the only person who was actually prepared was Oliver. And I think that he was probably the only deck in the... And I will say that Zan's deck was also prepared because he just knew that we were playing Hogak. Yeah, everybody else in the room, I think that... Well, and I don't think he was team-killing. I think Zan just, like, never wants to show up to an event with less than five pieces of graveyard hate in his deck. Oh, no, so. and very true, for sure. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't fault him at all for that. But yeah, I mean, those were, the, like, really the only decks in the room that I felt like had a shot at beating us was, like, the mirrors were going to be 50-50, and Oliver had four rest in peace, two surgical, and then everybody else had like two to three hate pieces, maximum two like hard hate pieces. Like mm-hmm. the only cards that are really ever going to matter are is like rest in peace or late line of the void. Everything yeah. else is a joke. Uh, like Hobbs, Hobbs was playing Delver and he had like two surgicals and a Tormod script. And he like looked at me at the beginning of our pod and I was like telling him like, like, sorry, dude, it's going to be a, bad, a rough one for you. And he's like, he's like, I have some graveyard hate. And I was just like, no, no you don't. You just don't. <laughs> <laughs> really happy with my legacy choice. Best deck in the room. Yeah, that looked pretty good. Yeah, Zach? yeah. I, I actually agree with Collins. I think his deck choice was the best deck in the room. But to my defense, I think my deck was actually good against Hogek. <laughs> I lost to Dylan, but I would like to say that I won game one against him. And it it's wasn't because he had a bad draw. It was because yeah. Terminus is actually very good against yeah. the deck. Yeah, yeah. Terminus gives you gives you play. Absolutely. Yeah, so I wanted another piece of Graveyard Hate. Harlan talked me out of it. We thought other people would be playing Hogak, but we didn't think it would be you guys. We had you really? guys put out, like, lands or... I thought, yeah, I thought Don was going to play Hogak. Uh, yeah, I thought I thought Don would play Hogak. I thought uh, Abe and Oliver would both play Hogak. And mm-hmm. I thought Barone would just play Hogak, just, like, find it and play it. Mm. That was my guess. And I mm-hmm. thought there was a chance Joe Lissette would show up with it just because he's was kind of like a wild card interesting okay um so we thought other people would play it it turns out the people we thought were playing it weren't but you guys ended up with it um, so your numbers were about right then so for like yeah we actually, of Hogak decks in the room yeah we actually overestimated it um but i still lost to it because yeah i think that y'all did y'all play many matches against it like focus testing uh so i played one league of legacy <laughs> before the event so okay. no all right yeah but i think I that if you had you would have realized that just your two recipes was not close to enough. Well, I think in combination with the Terminus, it was like the problem for me was just uh, like, I, I don't know. I kind of got color screwed in my match against uh, Dylan. Right. I died with a rest in peace of my hand twice with no white mana. So that's rough. Yep. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Not ideal. <laughs> that's magic. It happens. Yeah. How do you like your deck's choice just in general? So I still think it was the right deck choice for me. I don't think I ran well. Um, but like I said, I, I felt like I needed to spend more time, uh, prepping in modern and like I work a full-time job, so I don't have as much time to just sit down and test all the formats. So I'm happy with like how I utilize the time and I, I would have run it back just cause I think, you know, it was the most effective thing for me, but I think that like given more time testing that your deck choice was definitely better than mine. Sure. Yep. Modern, how do we feel about Devoted Druid as a choice for this particular event? Uh, I think, honestly, I think Druid was great. Mm-hmm. Um, we got got by Zach and Company's switch up. Yeah. Um, the the cards that we did not expect to see a lot of spell were queller. A, Spell Queller was just not close to on a radar for any deck, and B, Path to Exile. There were just a ton of Path to Exiles because... Yeah. Your, your main defense against removal decks is 
Veil of Summer and Mirren Crusader. Yeah, right. That was our juke. We were like, okay, so if there are going to be like Fatal Pushes and stuff like that, you know, Shadow, Urza, like we didn't really consider people switching to Bant um, Urza. Mm-hmm. So that was like on top of the fact that there's this Stoneforge Mystic deck that's good against us. There was all like two of the Urza players in the room were also on Bant with Spellcaller main deck and four Path to Exiles in the sideboard. So I think that our like decision making process and our choice and like what we ended up on for modern was actually really strong with the information we gave we we had mm-hmm. but as it played out we did not have an optimal deck for what ended up showing up okay i don't know if we ha- like had the ability to like make those reads i think that we were just kind of like destined to get got by the um the switch to stoneblade we just that was just we just had no idea that that was going to happen mm-hmm. But one thing I did think that we did wrong in our modern preparation was that we went, like, not only were we playing a deck that was all in on our metagame reads, but we, in our, like, deck building process, also went very all in on all of our reads. Mm. Um, and we, like, did our, when we constructed our sideboard, we, like, did the matchups for everything that we expected, and we kind of just ignored everything else. So some, like, some things that ended up punishing us was that, uh, we ended up cutting Teferi in our deck, mm-hmm. uh, Teferi three, just because like it it wasn't expected to be good against the uh, like the specific decks that we expected to face, so we just didn't have any. But I think that we like the card is just so powerful in a lot of our like worst matchups outside of what we expected. Mm-hmm. Like if I if we had had Teferi against Zack deck, I think that. Like we we like our matchup would have been a lot more digestible because part of our plan could be like if we resolve a, a Teferi, then like spellcaller's off and like you know force of negation can like counter the Teferi, of course, but like if they draw later, it's off and it just like makes things a lot easier for us. Uh, and especially against uh, Oliver and Abe's deck, like Teferi would have been a, a, a really welcome addition because they were much more into the counter spells mm-hmm. and the Teferis or and the spellcallers and stuff. Uh, and then our counterspell choice was Disdainful Stroke, which I think was, like, the worst option of, like, any of the counterspells that we could have played. <laughs> I think the best one was actually Delay, which we talked about a lot, but didn't pull the trigger on. Um, the reason that we won counterspells at all was because we expected Joe to be on Tron, and we expected Dilx to be on Amulet. Mm-hmm. So we just wanted, like, a big mana counterspell. And we thought that Dom could potentially play Titan Shift, which he ended up doing. So we wanted something that could counter, like, big stuff. But I think a more flexible counterspell was actually more what we ended up wanting. Like, if we had had Delay, Delay would have been excellent against the Spell Quellers that were in the room, and uh, I think still good enough against the big mana stuff. Hmm. So I think that, like, our card choices were just, like, we doubled down on, like, our specific reads of the room, and I think that was a mistake. And then if you had Delay, maybe you couldn't have helped yourself from putting Teferi somewhere into the 75 oh when we initially put delay in our sideboard dan was like okay now we are going to add another another teferi and put both of them in the main deck and i was like isn't that just a big overreaction to having delay in our sideboard (laughs) (laughs) but but yeah i mean all of those cards would have been great i think uh given what ended up happening Mm -hmm. Uh, so gotcha zach yeah i i agree with your point that um, I did. I actually did not like how you guys went like four, 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 three in every. I, I think it makes sense for Hogak, but mm-hmm. I didn't really like it. I guess it kind of makes more sense in standard, but I hated it in modern. Um, and it made yeah. sideboarding against you guys really easy because it was just like, well, some of these cards just aren't even relevant at all. I don't even have to consider them. They have yeah. you know maybe X cards for the matchup, and it's like pretty obvious, right? Mm-hmm. And that was something that 
I don't know. We kind of we kind of discussed doing something like that earlier in testing, but we just like realized that like we just weren't good enough at predicting to actually make a hard call. Like we're like, well, I just don't know what Colin Roundtree's gonna do. I've never I don't know his tendencies. Joe's a wild card. Like I Barone doesn't even play this format. Hobbs is talking about playing some weird stuff. Who knows? Like right. So you got to mix up your counter spells a little bit. Mix up your answers. Mix up w- what you're targeting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we we did target Urza in the sense that like we played Mystical Dispute, and I don't think I normally would have in my deck, but uh, past that, it was just like yeah, just normal modern. Just put in stuff for everything because you never know what you're gonna play in modern. It's still modern. Mm-hmm. Like somebody could have showed up with like Living End or Storm. Like I, who knows, man? It's modern. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's fair. Yeah, no, and I think that was good. Like I think that we um, we overestimated our ability to do that. So yeah, and and, and like I don't hate it. Uh, in I in Legacy, it makes sense with Hogek just because of how that deck is. In Standard, it makes more sense. Like we even did it. To some extent, in standard too. Yeah. Was like, in, in standard, the sideboard cards just say sideboard card in the text yeah. box. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Just, and like some of them even were, like had main deck Aethergust, and I think that was a great choice. It was yeah. a good choice. Um, Aethergust this tournament was yeah nice. amazing. Yeah. But uh, like, as for how my modern deck was positioned, um, I like I don't know. As soon as the deck list came out, I was like, this could not have gone better for us. It, like we knew Lotus Box was playing a, a matchup we thought was favorable. Um, the only thing we wished was that there was more shadow because our deck like just could not lose to shadow it was unbelievable yeah. against shadow you know past that it, it just felt like we got really lucky with that choice that you guys just like made a juke and it just ended up being a deck that our deck was good against mm-hmm. yeah one question from chat um asking if devoted devastation is good i think an important thing to note which we did note last episode but we haven't really mentioned this episode is these deck lists are built for this 16 man players championship yeah. where Every player is known Mm -hmm. and all the players have played against each other many times and are predicting specific things about what they're going to do. Take these deck lists with a grain of salt. Definitely the particular card choices and the sideboard cards are not what you should be doing for an open. And even the, the archetypes as a whole are not necessarily like picks for these are the best decks in these formats for an open style tournament. Yeah, definitely do not copy 75s from this tournament. But... I will say one thing to to their question. Um, I do think Devoted Devastation is a very good choice for an event right now, and it's something I'm considering yeah. for another event. But it's more because like decks that catch your opponent off guard and they can't mulligan to hands for are much better without open lists. Like mm-hmm. that sure. was my problem testing Druid was that when my opponent knew I was on Druid and they mulligan to a hand with like you know a, a six with two or three removal spells, it was really hard to win. But if they're keeping like a loose seven that just kind of, you know, promotes their game plan or whatever, I just killed them quicker. Mm-hmm. So yeah, yeah good I, I think the open deck list influences that, that deck specifically a lot. Yeah, makes sense. One deck that I think actually, I mean, maybe doesn't quite hit on that particular thing. Uh, a deck that I've been pretty impressed with, though. I got, I've met, gotten matched up against it a couple of times playing Urza in leagues recently, but the new Valakut deck. Oh, yeah. Um, like mono green Valakut with Once Upon a Time and Arboreal Grazers and Field of the Dead. If you are not playing a, like a Devoted Druid deck or like a Humans deck or something like that, that deck just beats you. Like <laughs> playing Urza against it yeah. just feels like there's nothing you can do. I had Magus of the Moons in my sideboard mm-hmm. and I just like got dumpstered. Oof. So, uh Jeez. That that deck is pretty gross, actually. Nice. There's something to it. Yeah, I it's uh, I love that kind of deck, and <laughs> so I'm I'm definitely interested in testing it out. But um, 
Yeah. Yeah. We'll I, I played against Kellen last night and he just stomped me. There wasn't <laughs> there. I mean, that hap- that has happened several times when I played against him online. He's just stomped me, but <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. So standard? S- standard. Okay. Yeah. So standard, we played ramp. I, I felt like kind of a little bit, even going into the event, that our standard testing was a little more phoned in than the rest of our testing, mm-hmm. just because we had so little time after the MC to lock in what we were doing. And we ended up playing this ramp strategy because we thought it was better than other people thought it was against Flash. And we thought that we really were a huge favorite in the food, the Jun food matchup. I think we were just wrong on both accounts. Okay. The the ramp deck was like a little more medium just generally than I thought it was going to be. Uh, we definitely missed some like good technology that I think that we would have really wanted. Like one of which is uh, what y'all did with um, Tamio. I think that mm-hmm. Tamio was just excellent in the mirrors because it just gave you another threat that allows you to uh, get card advantage, buy back your buying back your like aether gusts and and disputes is just invaluable and will easily win you the mirrors. Mm-hmm. So I felt like our you know. While our matchup against food was like probably fine, uh, I don't I, like I I really don't think it was like as knock out of the park as we thought it was. Like I played played against Edgar and he, he just kind of rolled me because he was clearly a master of his strategy. Mm-hmm. And I personally just did not play a lot of standard. I did a lot of theorizing. I did a lot of watching my teammates play standard, but I just like did not get the reps in that I probably should have gotten in standard. Sure, I didn't have a very good feel for the deck. Yeah, I think that standard was our like biggest miss out of all of the formats. Okay, uh, I just like didn't feel like we gave ourselves enough time to come to a conclusion there, and I wasn't a huge fan. Sure, which is sad because the archetype that we played is exactly my speed, and I think that's like definitely part of why. Like, I think that there were some biases there that led me into um, like pushing for it. Like, you know, I love I love a hoof effect, and I love some <laughs> ramp in standard. Uh, it was just the perfect marriage of those. I think that we could have done a better job in standard for sure. Okay. Yeah, sure. I, I agree with you on your point about losing to food with Edgar. We tested our deck against food a lot and we yeah. were beating it very, like very regularly. And the problem was we just didn't have anybody nearly as practiced as Edgar and Dilks were mm-hmm. like the matchup mm-hmm. is just worse than we thought it was because we weren't playing against as good as pilots. Yeah. Right. And like we were playing against like, it was me testing against other PC competitors, but just they hadn't put in enough time with food to really learn that deck. And the deck yeah. is just so complex that we didn't get like an accurate yeah. reading for how the deck actually is against the archetype or whatever. Mm-hmm. For me, the biggest regret in standard is that we didn't make a, a switch Harlan wanted us to make. The, the problem was that like I was on this dance deck forever and we realized it wasn't viable uh, and then I switched to Fires, and I had this Fires deck that I thought was really good, uh, and Harlan was on a red-black aggro deck with Embercleave that he thought was very good. Uh, but he, it just could never beat Fires. Like, we, like the matchup wasn't close. I was destroying him. Like, nothing they... Like, it, it never even felt like games, really. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But towards the end of testing, we realized, like, with all these Flash decks, Fires is just unplayable. It's just not good, and we didn't really even think anybody would show up with Fires. Yeah. Uh, Fires isn't good against the ramp decks either so if you think people are showing up yep. also with Manguchi ramp then you know and if other people think that then they're definitely pretty hard pressed to say fires is the correct choice for this event yeah i actually we actually thought fires was a little bit better against the ramp than than people thought but it we didn't think it was like great we just thought it was like 55 45 or whatever sure um i mean you had to account for the deck like you had to be playing time wipes but if you were it was a lot easier to win that matchup That's but fair. the the problem was like 
like we just didn't switch back because we realized no one was playing fires and it's like well if we had gone back to red black aggro it would have been insane like go back and look at these lists like none of the decks are prepared for like a red black Embercleave deck oh, at yeah. all mm-hmm. absolutely and we you know we kind of like i kind of wish i'd listen to Arlen and switch back but i like adamantly argued for him to like play this blue green ramp deck and i i think we like the build we had but you know i i kind of think i maybe argued too much for that in retrospect yeah yeah fair I definitely, like, towards the end of the tournament, I think they trotted out the stat that the ramp decks won two non-mirror matches Solid. all weekend long. <laughs> Solid. Yeah. So, yeah, a little unfortunate. Um, one thing that I failed to do in my, like, talking about and, and, like, looking at the tournament structure and stuff, and I have to eat a little crow on this because I was arguing with a friend of ours, Elliot, about, like, the importance of formats. And I, I just, like, didn't really think that any format was weighted particularly heavier than the rest. Mm-hmm. It, it's clear that Legacy was weighted lighter than the rest. Yeah. Boy, Modern was really important for this tournament. Yeah. Just, yeah. you could top four the event by only winning all of your modern matches, right? Like, that's how it works. You yeah. you win both of your grudge matches, and then you win the entire loser's bracket, and yeah. then you you have top four. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I lost a match playing for top four against Zan, and I played standard one match in the entire event. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. So Yeah, and you could have been just out of this tournament without playing a... There, there were two competitors who did not play a single match of standard this event. Yep. Right, you play your you legacy know. pod, yeah. you lose it. You play your modern pod, you're you last, it. and then that's that's done. Yeah. Yeah, so so me, Drake, and Harlan spent four straight days playing nothing but Harlan, and between the three of us, we played three matches of standard on the weekend. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, yeah, what is this? Right. Yeah. Yeah, wild. yeah, definitely. So... Yeah, it was definitely a modern focused tournament structure and probably something to keep in mind going forward. And, not not and that honestly, anybody yeah. like since either both of you guys sounds like went pretty deep on the modern testing and, mm-hmm. and really like came out of it feeling confident in your choice. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I don't I don't think anybody in the event didn't realize that modern was the most important. The like it was just unclear like how important standard and legacy would end up being, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, after seeing it like actually play out. Yeah, I yeah I can totally see, in retrospect, that yeah, legacy didn't really matter, and uh, yeah, and standard also was just like it, like I played two matches of standard over the tournament. Yeah, it didn't feel like it had a big impact. Um, also, what's really weird about how day two worked, it didn't matter if you lost in round one or round two of day two of the tournament of the winners. Bracket, you went to the same bracket. Yeah. You went to the same bracket, so it was the same. Mm-hmm. Um, so like. Those two wins basically sort of count as one win, sort of. Yeah. So like right. that, that also makes standard like less yeah. important. Though. And it's it's not that your like first win didn't matter at all because that still gives you a shot at like at, staying in the winners bracket. Right. But yeah, it it was kind of interesting how an O one and a one one record on day two were right. the exact cool. same. Yeah. Yeah. Just interesting how like different matches had different different rounds had different amounts of value to the tournament. I don't think I've ever seen a magic tournament like it. And I'm not saying it's like definitely a bad thing or anything like that, but it definitely takes some getting used to. Yep. Cool. Well, anything else we want to talk about today? Oh, I know Zach, you had a couple of, uh, we don't have a keeper mole exactly, but I know that you had like one or two things to talk about with that before we, uh, finish things up. Oh, sure. Yeah. So, uh, I think Sunday while we were uh, 
you know, sitting down watching the top four matches. Me and Collins were both out by then. And I, I looked over at him at one point, and I, I was just reading Twitter. And uh, I had just seen uh, LSV post this question of, you know, if your opponent is tanking on a seven, they're looking at their seven-card hand, what are you hoping they do? Do you hope they keep or do you hope they mulligan? And, you know, <laughs> me, me and Collins both looked at each other and snapped off an answer, and it was it was strange because I, I don't think I would have answered that like a month ago. But what do you hope they do, Collins? Uh, well, you already know my answer. I kind of want to get Chris's answer first. Um, so I think it does in part depend on the exact deck that you're playing and like Ooh. what your opening hand is. Okay. Um, as a general like just thought experiment kind of thing, mm. given the type of mulligan role we have now, yeah. I think if my opponent is tanking on whether or not to keep a hand, mm -hmm. it's like 90% correct for them to mulligan it. Yeah. So I want them to keep because oh, yeah. like, you know, I like I kind of don't want them to keep because in my biased memory of experiences, every time my opponent keeps a close one, they always get there. But <laughs> sure. that's not actually true. My opponents yeah. have definitely kept close ones and just gotten absolutely dumpstered by their deck. Yeah, yeah. So because it is probably correct for them to mulligan in that situation, given the bonkers mulligan role we have now, mm -hmm. I would like for them to yeah. keep their bad hand. Yeah, nothing makes me feel more comfortable going into a game of Magic if my opponent tank keeps. Yeah. If my opponent tank keeps, I'm like, you're dead. <laughs> like, I, I could be on five cards, and I'd be like, you're you're dead. These five cards are great. I, I agree with him. Yeah. Like, 100%. It was the first thing I snapped off was just like, I hope they keep. I don't know why people are arguing about this. Keeping <laughs> is so much better for you now. Yeah. But I, I think, like, a month ago or two months ago, like, while we were still figuring out the rule, I would have snapped that I hope they mulligan just because I think it was better in the old system for your opponent to mulligan, right? Yeah, and then like from the control player who's always trying to like one for one their opponent out of the game, the you know, it's like good. yeah, yeah, it's ingrained in me to hope they mulligan, but <laughs> no, I, I think it's just right now like, you just hope that they keep and have a bad hand. I and, and that was the what I was saying. It depends a little bit contextually on what you are playing and what your hand is. If I am playing specifically a Thoughtseize deck and I have a Thoughtseize in my hand, I do still want them to mulligan. Sure. Like, there is the chance that you take apart a bad seven with your Thoughtseize. You take mm -hmm. the thing that they're, like, hoping gets them there, especially if you're the one on the play. But it's more likely that they're looking at a land light hand and wondering if they're supposed to keep it. And then you Thoughtseize their, like, five spell to land hand or that mm -hmm. just has, like, a bunch of expensive spells or whatever. And it's just like, yeah, I guess I'll take your one of your cheap spells and then they hit the land and you're like, okay, well, you're just going to overwhelm me with these card advantage spells now. Yeah. Yeah. So that's the one case where I'd be like mulligan because thought seizing somebody who's already mulliganed feels like cheating. Yeah, that's true. I will say when we were discussing the question on, on the Sunday, Collins goes yeah, to yeah. me, he goes, uh, in our match, I think you, you tanked a little while on that seven you kept. And I was like, yeah, I really need to hit a third land. I did <laughs> yeah. it for a long time, and then I did get there. I got lucky. Yeah. And I don't it, get but... me wrong, Zach, I knew exactly what was going on. I was yeah, like, yeah, I, did. I want him to keep. I really want him to keep because, like, the only way I can win this match is if you stumble. Uh, oh, but, but, you, you know, cast Spell Queller, I guess I can resolve my spells. Yeah, but when you, like, when you, like, curved out and hit your third land drop, I was like, I'm dead. Damn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I needed to hit it, but I, I, I think those are the ones where, like, I don't know. When you're playing against better players now, like hands that weren't that close that should be mulligans, they just ship so quickly now that it's like if they're tanking on it, it's actually closer than it used to be, I guess. I don't know. I, yeah. I don't know. No, I, I, I think that that hypothetical, we are all picturing like average opponents 
Uh, yeah. And it's different if I'm sitting across from Zan and he's tanking on a hand. Like, yeah. it's probably actually close under the new mulligan roll. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. And also, just uh, on the topic of sitting uh, across from Zan, I just wanted to throw this out there. Playing three Lotus Box players back to back to back <laughs> in eliminations is one of the most nerve wracking like experiences of my magic career. I like Sorry. I just had to, I, I knew like as soon as I got the draw, I was like, oh, this is a good matchup three times in a row. There's no way I win all three. This just can't happen. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. they are too good to like just beat all three. Who did you hit on the first one? Jeremy. I got I got oh, Jeremy oh, and okay. then you yeah. and then uh Zan. And I had also played Dylan in a like important match the day before. So I was just like God, all of them have played me. They're just gonna know my decks so well. There's no, no and and honestly, me. that really did happen because our plans like evolved over the course of those three matches against you, and yep. we learned your tendencies very, very well. Yep. And I honestly believe that Zan was a favorite going into that match, just based on our yep. like hive mind data of like <laughs> we know exactly how you sideboarded. We, you know, we know your like tendencies of the match. We know what you prioritize. Um, yep. And Zan just had all that info going in. Oh, yeah, I, I was so nervous seeing that. I was like, God, there's no way. Like, they have to have this, like, workshopped already. I am in so much trouble. Yeah. Well, um, and, and so the sideboarding plan changed, right? It did. It, it, it really did evolve. Jeremy did not bring any veils against you because we just thought that, like... It, your removal like, is light. One yeah. of your counterspells it doesn't work against. Right. We didn't think that it was going to be that important. Um, but by the time that I played you, I was like, I, I think that in order for me to win, I really need to, like, get you somehow. And one of the ways that I can do that is like a well-timed fail. Um, so I boarded in one, and there were several. There were several times where I, uh, in our match, I was just praying to draw my one of Veil of Summer. Sure. Um, like you remember when you like tapped out for Stoneforge Mystic or something, and I jammed, and you had the counter spell. Like if I had a Veil there, the game just ends. Yeah, um, I would have been dead for sure. Yeah, and then there were. Uh, there were like two other spots where like you force of negation and Oko that if I had an avail for it would have been over. So yeah, and so after our match, I just went up to Zan and I was like, Zan, you need to bring in all of your avail summers, and he did. And I think that was you know a really crucial element of us being able to beat you there. I I think that you no, you're totally right. Uh, the veil blew me out. I think it was like just very smart on your guys' part to adjust that way. I will say that as the match went on. I decided that I like counterspells less and less. And against Zan, on the play that round, I had one Force Negation and one Mana Leak in my deck, and I still got blown up by Veil. Like, God darn it! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's cool that you also adjusted. Because, I kind of you know, figured I needed to. Like, I also, like, was changing up the equipment I would board out and the one I would bring in. Like, I, I, know, I noticed that because there was a time where you, like, did search on one of your things, and I was like, wow, I would have been so dead to a Sword of Feast and Famine here. But oh, it yeah, that doesn't have it in this deck. Yeah, that hurt me really bad. When I when yeah. I did it, I was like, God, I wish I'd left this. What am I doing? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah. Good times, though. No, yeah. I, I do think, like, that experience right there was, like, honestly one of the most fun I've ever had playing Magic. And, like, looking back, it's going to be probably one of my best memories. Just, like, getting to play, like, just three excellent players in a row, trying to, like, you know, outsmart them, like, you know, multiple times. Just knowing it's, like, going to be impossible. And then, you know, I did end up losing. But just, just a really cool memory, I think. Yeah. Good story, for sure. Well, Zach, thank you so much. This has been super, super fun. Uh, if you have anything else that you want to say or talk about, like, like, p please feel free. Like, you're welcome to take the stage for a minute. 
Yeah, uh, nothing, nothing in particular I wanted to to shout out, but uh, you know, I do just want to give a quick shout out to my home store, RAW. If you're in the Michigan area and want to play an FNM, come on, come on over to RAW. Always welcome to have some people there. And then, you know, past that, just wanted to stay, you know, uh, you know, I battle with Lotus Box all year and definitely they're, you know, people I'm competing against, but this team, you know, really is one of the things that makes the SCG tour great. And it's been a huge pleasure to play against you guys, you know, really, really enjoyed it and can't wait to get back to battling next year. Awesome. Oh, that yeah. means a lot, Zach. Appreciate it. Yeah. And you've been a blast to play against all year as well. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, again, really, really appreciate you coming and hanging out. This this has been super fun and super enlightening. Yeah, that was a really cool episode. I'm glad we got to look at, you know, the, like a, a really small tournament from two perspectives. I think it was a really <laughs> cool idea. Yeah, 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 this was fun. Yeah, kudos to Christopher for coming up with that one. It's good. We, yeah. we chatted about it a little bit beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see. Want to say thank you to everybody so much for listening. This is going to be our last episode of the year pretty much i I guess we'll we will technically be recording the next episode on the last day of the year on december 31st okay yeah um this is gonna be our last episode of the year because we take our traditional only week off of the year for christmas for christmas (laughs) yeah so uh you know we will miss you guys next week but then we will be back and ready for the new season of the SCG tour. So it's going to be exciting. Probably going to be going pretty deep on some modern stuff because there's a lot of modern coming up. Very true. <laughs> I I am still, honestly... Kicking it off with triple modern. Just I'm, like off the bat. <laughs> I am still... I still haven't found my like place in this format. Mm-hmm. I still have not found my comfort zone since Phoenix got banned. Yeah. Uh, and I am still like struggling to figure out like where I belong playing modern. <laughs> Chris, can I interest you... And some equipment on some elks. <laughs> <laughs> See, the problem is when my equipment gets turned into elks is where I really struggle. So yeah, I don't know. I don't know so much about all of this. <laughs> I will. I will certainly give some Stoneforge Mystic decks a shot. I would strongly advise putting oak or Stoneforge Mystic in your Oko deck and not the other way around. Right, that makes sense. Yeah. No, I I, I want to be focused around the completely bonkers card, and, yeah. and then put the other cards into the deck. Yeah. Um, cool well thanks to everybody so much for listening all year long uh, we really really appreciate it um, we have made some serious steps towards getting merch out sure. so um, we have our new playmats in they are dope uh, we have shirts The we have the designs I have, I'm about to order some samples make sure that it all turns out right and then we will start getting those out to people who are in the shirt level tier uh, on Patreon so uh, we are getting pretty close to having the like the full like you know how when you're playing an rpg and your paper doll finally like gets all of the equipment slots filled yeah so i get a hat on me yeah. i get my play mat and yep. i get my your shirt, shirt you yep. get your pin uh-huh you get like two different tokens because uh-huh. we have some pretty adorable tokens coming yeah. up that i'm very excited about uh, yeah so we've got lots of cool stuff and of course uh if you sign up for the patreon just come hang out in the discord you can ask us questions uh come hang out and you know we will have a great time thank you so much to all of our patrons um if you would like to become a patron head over to patreon.com slash mtggrindcast or mtggrindcast.com we've got links to our patreon we've got links to all of our old episodes links to uh grab collins for some individual one-on-one coaching time uh, if you want to see us live, we are broadcasting this Tuesdays at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Just not next Tuesday, but uh, December 31st will be our next live episode. Yep. So definitely come hang out. Yeah. And 
Thank you so much for listening and have a great week. Peace. See you guys.